For the Son of God to empty himself and become poor meant a laying aside of glory. A voluntary restraint of power and acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. Finally, a death that involves such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. It meant love to the uttermost for unlovely men who through his poverty might become rich. This Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. These are the words of J.I. Packer. And as we look at the first week of Advent and, and ponder the virtue of hope as expressed in the Advent, it seems an incredibly important and an incredibly appropriate uh, statement. For many of us, as we sit and we look at Christmas, we get caught up in all the things that Christmas is. And we lose fact of the and we lose sight of the promise of the Advent. You see, the word Advent is, is derived from the Latin word Adventus, and, and it literally means the coming. The traditional um, church view is, has been that the weeks prior to Christmas is a time to reflect on the anticipation of the coming of Christ. And what, and what the world was waiting for as it was waiting for Jesus Christ. It is the Advent, the coming of Jesus that changed things. It is the advent, the, the coming of Jesus that made everything different. We look in this time at, at the way in which the world awaited the coming light that is Jesus Christ and how he would bring with him perfect love, how his arrival would usher in transcendent joy, true peace, and yes, the singular hope of mankind. I want you guys to contemplate that declaration. That Jesus Christ, His coming, is the singular hope of mankind. Because that understanding is really important to defining who we are and what we believe. Jesus Christ, His coming, 2,000 years ago, represents then and now the singular hope of mankind. It really isn't that difficult, is it? to look around us and see how the plight of man is not being affected by the institutions and methods employed apart from Jesus Christ. Look around us. Look around us, and do you see people living in hope? Do you see people living in joy? Do you, do you see people living in true, found, in, in true love? Do you, see, do you see a rare peace? That is being discovered. How odd it is if we find joy reigning in the hearts of individuals in the world around us. And not just, not just, not just in the macro, not just in the cultural, not just in the societal, but in the individuals we know. How many people do you know that live in deep abiding joy? How many people do you know that are gripped and defined by peace? 
How many people do you know that truly have discovered what love is? Isn't the norm turmoil? Isn't the norm seeking after love? Isn't the norm trying to discover what joy really is? It it is amazing how little people find true hope. People find true peace. People find true love. People live in joy. It is a reality the lives of those we know continue to put their hope in the promises of this world apart from Jesus Christ. And the result of that is continual frustration. It is, it's really this thing that you look around and, and it's really this, this, this cycle that takes place. They put their hope in the actions and the institutions of this world apart from the touch of Jesus Christ. And those actions and those institutions continue to fail over and over and over again. Whether their hope is in finances or, or political um, institutions or, or in f- philosophical institutions. They continually are, 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 let, are, are let down. We have, we have, we have thoughts that, that somehow our politics will save us. We have thoughts that somehow our, our economy will save us. We have thoughts that somehow some philosophy apart from God will save us. And every single time we invest in it, every single time we give to it, we, we find ourselves disappointed. It is, it, it, there is absolutely, it is absolutely um, reasonable to see the anger and rage that seems to be manifested all around us. Because I think it is simply an expression of frustration, even fear, that the methods and institutions in which they continue to put their hope apart from Christ are failing. And, and the, only, the only option that remains is, is to double down, to reinvest in the failing institutions. And this cycle of frustration just drives people deeper and deeper into the darkness. Has anyone noticed that there seems to be a lot of anger out there? Has anyone noticed that there seems to be a lot of discontentment out there? And and I'm going to tell you this. I do not believe it is a new phenomenon. I just believe we have more platforms to express it. I just believe that we have people who have, who, have, who, have, who have decided to lay down the pretense and just begin to speak into it and let people know how angry they are, how frustrated they are. I don't believe that it's coincidental. And I believe ultimately what it comes down to is we live in a world full of people who have put their hope in something other than Jesus Christ, and every time you do it, it will fail you. But there is a hope that comes. In fact, it is into this darkness that the promise of Jesus Christ came. Our reading this morning was from Isaiah 40, and I want you guys to hear it again. Comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This morning's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 40. And it was written um, 700 years before the first Christmas. And it perfectly captures that promise that the advent of Christ holds. That the people of God, encompassed with the fear of warfare, overcome by the turmoil of conflict, burdened by the penalty and price of their own sin, God, through Isaiah, is providing a promise that they might look forward to the hope that is the glory of God to be revealed. It really is a remarkable passage because, because Isaiah is, God uses Isaiah to speak to the Israelites and say, guys, I know that there is darkness coming. He's spoken to them as you read up to this point. God has said, listen guys, there is judgment coming. He says, he says you're going to be overrun. He says, that, the, he says that, the, that, that, that Israel is going to find themselves in captivity. He's speaking to them and saying, I know that everything looks dark. I know that everything looks bleak right now. But I want you to have hope. Because there is a coming redemption. And this captures not just, not just the promise of Israel, but it is meant to be a transcendent message to the struggles of mankind, to our struggles in our lives. You see, this is what we would call a messianic prophecy. That Isaiah wasn't simply talking to the Israelites and saying, guys, I want you to know that although there's judgment coming, although there's, although there's captivity coming, I'm going to take care of you. What he was pointing to was the promise of the Messiah that was delivered from the very beginning of time. That there is nothing in this world ultimately that redeems. There is nothing in this world ultimately that gives hope. That we all dwell in darkness, but there will come a light. And it is there that we can find hope. If you are here as a Christian struggling, in turmoil, Warring within yourself. The message is, there is hope. If you're one who is, who is, who's been in the fight, struggling to find the answer in the failed institutions of man, in, in the failure of mankind, there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is a hope for peace, a hope for reconciliation, a hope for forgiveness, a hope for redemption. A hope for victory. You see, this, this is the message of hope that the advent of Jesus Christ holds. This is the message of hope that we discover in this promise. And this is the message of hope that we see in the words of Isaiah. But I want you guys to see the depths of that message. I want you to see the depths of this revelation. In this morning's text. You see, this Advent season holds the promise of something special. 
if you hear the voice of the Lord this morning, and do you realize that this is the voice we are hearing in Isaiah 40? And Isaiah 40 opens with these words, Comfort, comfort my people. Says who? What does it say? Says your God. The call to comfort comes from the very mouth of God. It comes from, it comes from the voice of God. In fact, the way he says it is, is incredibly deep. In fact, he says, comfort, comfort my people and speak tenderly to them. This is, this is amazing when you, when, you really, when you really look at this, when you really think about this. Isaiah chapter 40 is the voice of God saying, I want my people to know that they can be comforted. I want them to find comfort. And I want you to deliver this message tenderly to their hearts. That phrase there, the way in which this is, this is laid out, this, this interaction spoken in the voice of God reveals so much about the nature of God's heart towards us. Who's God speaking about here? Comfort who? Comfort my people. And he says, I want you to comfort my people. I want you to comfort my people, and, and, I, want you to, and I want you to speak tenderly to their hearts. God is talking to his people with, with this message that he gives, and it shows, it shows his love towards us. It shows his tenderness towards us. He says, comfort my people and do it tenderly. What a revelation of God's love to His church in the midst of their turmoil. Such an amazing phrase. Speak to them tenderly. He says, speak to their hearts with a tenderness, this message of comfort. Throughout Isaiah up to this point, what you've heard is, is you've, heard, you've heard the voice of God spoken through Isaiah saying, man, there is judgment coming. He's been saying, listen guys, you have been in sin and you guys have turned your back on me. And because of that, there is judgment coming. You guys have, you guys have chased after things all in this world. And because of that, there is a price that is going to be paid. He has been saying this through Isaiah chapter after chapter after chapter. But he doesn't want the people to believe that he's disconnected from their pain. That he's disconnected from their, heart, their hurt. It says, I want you, Isaiah, in the midst of this. I don't, want, I don't want them to be overly burdened. I don't want them to think that I've turned my back on them. I don't want them, I don't want them to live in fear. I don't want them to think that I've disconnected myself from them. Because I still love them. They're still my people. They may have turned their back on me. They may have gone a different way. They may be embracing idolatry right now. But I want their hearts to be comforted and know that I hear them. And I care for them. It is so amazing to me when we step into this declaration to know that we serve a God who is loving towards His children. Who is gracious towards his children. That God has not abandoned them. And he's not abandoned us. Whatever you're in right now. Whatever it is you feel right now. Whatever it is you're struggling with. Your God cares. 
Your God loves you. His heart is tender towards you. He is hoping and desiring to be able to draw you near to Him. He is hoping and desiring for you to understand the hope that is discovered in His love for you. It's interesting because um, I can't ever read this passage without being reminded of the ministry of John Kwandi in Rwanda. John Kwandi leads uh, Solace Ministries. And it's a it's a ministry that our church partners with, and I've had the I've had the privilege of being over there two different times, and I'll be going a third time uh, in February. And and John Quandy started this ministry entitled Solace Ministries, um, uh, coming out of the genocide of Rwanda. And it was these words that inspired him. John Quandy um, lost eighty members of his family were killed in the genocide. He looked all around him and he saw the destruction that had taken place. The million people who were destroyed in within a hundred days. Women who were raped. Children who were, who were hacked to death. And he watched and saw all of this take place. And as the, genocide, as the genocide came to an end, God spoke to his heart through Isaiah chapter 40 and said, Comfort, comfort my people. And he started very simply. He simply heard the voice of God and said, I want you to comfort my people who have suffered so much. And so he would go up to people and he would just simply sit and talk with them. And he would pray with them. And he would give them the love of God. In the midst of all of this pain, in the midst of all of this suffering, he'd just simply give them the love of God. And then from there, he saw, he saw the opportunity to bring even greater comfort to those who had suffered, and he began to bring together families. Moms who had lost their children and children who had lost their moms, and he would bring together and they would create new families so that they would have someone to care for them and they would somebody have someone to care for and that God would restore to, back to them that which had been taken from them. And then from there, he began to to, to help them build houses and build homes that they could live in. And they, they would provide for them means of, of income. And then from there, he, he helped create a, a maternity hospital. And, and now, he's create, now he's opening up a, a, another a hospital that, that has, has, has a broader, um, broader reach. But, but John Quandy, inspired by the words of God, saying, Comfort, comfort my people. Brought into their lives. The love of God. Now I tell you this, not simply because I think it is a powerful story, but because it is God's heart that we find comfort out of our turmoil. It is God's heart to find comfort from the tragedies and the struggles of life. Listen, I I can't tell you why John and the beautiful people of Rwanda suffered so deeply other than to know without a doubt that it is the result of the great evil that is in this world. I don't know why God didn't simply eliminate the tragic. I don't know why it didn't just go away at the hand of God. I acknowledge completely His ways are higher than my ways. His wisdom is beyond mine. Who am I by comparison to His knowledge? But what I do know 
is that God, through John, brought comfort to his people. What I do know is that in the wake of tragic pain and loss, the comfort of God by his Spirit transformed lives, renewed hearts, enlivened the spirits of so many who endured such tragedy. I know that I stood and I heard the testimony of the widows. I know that I sat there and and I listened as they would stand and they would declare with their mouths, my God is good. It's an incredible thing. I mean, I, 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 I think I can say this with confidence. I don't think there was a single woman that I met there over the age of 35 or 40 who had not been raped. A single one. A single woman who had not watched her children killed or her husband killed. And she stood in the midst, they stood in the midst of us and said, God is good. With tears rolling down their cheeks, they declared, God is good. God loves me. God cares for me. God is good. Because the comfort of God in the midst of the most great tra- greatest tragedies we could ever experience is His promise to us. I know that I stood and I heard the declaration of Francis who at age 12 saw his parents hacked to death in front of him who at age 12 had his, had his throat slit from ear to ear. He had to, he had to, he had to walk 20 miles to the border, holding his neck in place. And I heard him say, as we sat on the bus, I want people to know that God saves even us, even from death. I want to live my life so that people will discover the love of Jesus Christ. You see, God has a heart for His people. No matter what it is you go through, no matter what it is, whatever whatever darkness you've been through, His desire is that you will find comfort. I know that God is able to bring comfort in whatever circumstance you find yourselves. And whatever what you're, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you've faced in your past, He is here this morning during this Advent season saying the same words that He said in Isaiah, Be comforted, my people. Do you have a need for comfort this morning? God wants you to find it. God wants you to know that His heart is for you. He's trying to speak to you tenderly even now and say, comfort. Find comfort, my children. God wants us to find comfort. But you have to understand, it's not just in saying it. It's not only in the discovery that God is a merciful God who is touched by your heartaches and wants you to be comforted. The comfort that God says you will receive will only be received when you receive the message. When you understand the message. And it starts with this. It is the declaration 
your warfare is ended, your iniquity is pardoned, and you have received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. See, he says to Isaiah, listen, I want you to comfort these people, and what I want them to be comforted with is these words. See, this is an important part of the message that is required to receive our comfort. It's not just in any message. It's in this message. It's in realizing that in the, the Advent is about this message. Your warfare is ended and your sins have been pardoned. But to receive the hope of comfort that this message provides, you need to have the insight to know the true source of your tor- turmoil and in turn the source of your peace. And you need the humility to know of your need for redemption. See, see the turmoil of our lives comes from putting our hope in the things of this world. In clinging to the things of this life. And arrogantly believing that it is within our power to obtain our peace, our redemption, and our righteousness. See, this message doesn't mean anything to us until we get to the point in which we let go of a hope in the things of this world. Because it's then that we'll begin to understand that the hope is in the coming Messiah. It isn't until we realize that our sinful pursuit of the desires of the flesh is sin and requires punishment when we will be able to receive the hope of the Messiah, and receive comfort. Listen, the message is this. Your warfare is done. It's over. The victory's been won. And you've been pardoned your sins. But see, if you don't understand the fight you're in, if you don't understand what's causing the turmoil, You'll continue to live in that fight. You'll continue to live in that turmoil. And you'll never experience the forgiveness of God if you don't understand that you need the forgiveness of God. You understand what I'm saying? See, James 4 explains to us beautifully the state of the heart that is prevented from receiving the comfort of the advent. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Isn't this a beautiful description of the turmoil we see all around us? Isn't this a beautiful description of the separation that we see in the world around us? I want, I need, I've got to have. And what causes the turmoil, what causes the fear, what causes the frustration is I don't get it. And when I don't get exactly what I want out of this world, when I don't get exactly what I need out of this world, I find myself frustrated, I find myself in fear, I find myself angry. And impossible to find peace. What is it that causes turmoil? That causes the warring in your soul? 
It is seeking to fulfill your desires and passions with the things of this world. It's your belief that wholeness is found in wealth, is found in acceptance, is found in pleasure, in people, in a comfortable life. In whatever it is that that when you don't have it, you're not at peace, but you're in turmoil, in anger, in fear. What we do is we fight and we claw and we grab, doubling down on the failed sources of hope that this world holds up for us. The root of our discontentment is the idolatry of this world's offerings. And I'm saying this because it's so important to understand. You won't find comfort in the advent of the Messiah if this is your mindset. It won't matter. It won't make any difference. You might be able to find some peace for a moment in the, in the, in the thought of Christ's coming. We have those, that day or two on Christmas Eve when we come to service or we, talk about, or, we, or, we, or we talk about the idea of Christmas. But how many of you, how many of you have ever experienced it even in the midst of Christmas, right? How many people get upset because they don't get what they wanted under the tree? I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things that is so purely revealed by our kids, isn't it? I can remember as a kid waiting all day, all waiting for all year for Christmas morning to come, and then I unwrapped the things, and I was like, I didn't want any of that. Right? This is what our life is like because we keep reaching after things, and because they won't give us any any real joy, they won't give us any real peace, they won't give us any real hope. They, they, they slip through our fingers and we find ourselves frustrated. You won't find comfort in the advent of the Messiah if this is your mindset. If your hope is in wealth, in ease, in acceptance, in physical pleasure, there is no comfort to be found in Christ because the Messiah isn't promising any of that. None of what he says in Isaiah 40 about the coming of the Messiah says, hey, I'm going to make you guys wealthy again. Hey, I'm going to make you guys, I'm going to make you guys powerful again. I'm going to take away all of your pain. I'm going to take away all of your hurt. When you read this passage, it doesn't lead to that declaration. And I want you to understand, the promise of Jesus Christ in your life doesn't lead to that. In fact, in many cases, Jesus Christ promises you the exact opposite. He tells us that you'll be hated the way He was hated. He tells us that you'll be rejected the way He was rejected. He tells us not to worry about being in poverty. He tells us, he tells us not to worry about what we have in this life. But when you let go of that idolatry, the promise of the Messiah will comfort you. And the act of of letting go of that idolatry will bring you to where you need to be at in which you can find hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the next step in finding hope in the Messiah. 
When we look at this and God says, comfort my people with these words. Comfort my people. Speak to them tenderly with the words that I will end their warring. That I will pardon their sins. Those words mean nothing unless we come to the point we let go of our hope in this world. We lay, it, we lay down our, our, our sinful desires. And that ultimately is the next step to discovering the hope in Jesus Christ. You look back at Isaiah, and there is a posture that we have to take to receive the advent of the Messiah. Comfort will only be found in the hope of the Messiah if we receive the redemption that He brings. And you know what it takes to do that? Preparing the way. What does it say? For the warfare to end. For the iniquity to be pardoned. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah here is making, making reference to the practice of the ancients of preparing a way, preparing a road, preparing a highway for great dignitaries. It, it was common when a king or a ruler of great importance was, was going to travel to visit a city. And they knew they were coming. They would go out and they, they would build roads. They would level out impediments. They would cut through the rocky desert so that the king would know that he was being ushered in. So the king would come on, on, on even ground and they would, they would know that the city had prepared themselves to receive the king. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. James describes it this way. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. To receive comfort in the hope of Christ, you must set aside the desires of the flesh, the idolatry of worldliness. You must set your heart purely on the hope of Christ single-mindedly. Prepare the way of the Lord. What is your heart for? What is your heart desire after? Have you humbled yourself before Him and said, listen, it's not my ability, it's not my pleasure, it's not my desires, it's not my want. It is only you. The reality is, the coming coming in, in Christ matters when nothing else in this world matters. There, There is only hope to be found when your only hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself. Make straight the way of the Lord. Pastor friend of mine 
said to me, true Christian living is similar to Buddhist detachment. But instead of simply letting go of the things of this world, we cling to a sovereign God and his love for us. That the idea is, yes, there is a call. There is a call to let go. There's a call to, to detachment. There's a call to say, listen, this, this world is not something we need to get worried about. This world is not something we need to hang on to. This world, it doesn't really matter. Let go, let go of the, the, the needs for this and the wants for that. But the beauty of Christianity is not that we just let go of this world, but that we cling to Jesus Christ. That we say, I lay all that aside because I want you more than anything else. I desire you more than anything else. Listen, if you are in a place right now and you are in turmoil and you are struggling and you are being held by sin, I am telling you, you have to let it go. You have to lay it down. Because as you prepare your heart, the coming of Jesus Christ will give you comfort. If you are still clinging to the things of this world as your hope, there is no comfort in this message. Even as I say that, I can't help but be reminded of the Rwandan widows. They stood there and they said, God is good. They stood there and declared His goodness. They, they would dance before the Lord in worship and in praise. And do you know that, it, that, that their, their story didn't change? Their history didn't change? That they still had the memories, they, they still had the, the, the thoughts in their heads, they still experienced it, their children were still gone, their husband was still gone. But they realized God is so much bigger than this, God is so much greater than this. They could say it not because their circumstances changed, but because their or because their experiences changed, but because they found something that overshadowed it all. They let go of the anger. They let go of the bitterness. They let go of their hope in this world because they found that which is greater than it all. And Isaiah tells us what that is. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What has this all been leading to? What what has this all been heading to? What is it that ultimately we've been waiting for? What is it that our hope is in? The glory of the Lord will be revealed. The comfort of the advent of the Messiah is discovered in the very presence of God coming alive. It's not in a change of circumstance. It's not, it's not in getting healthier. It's not, it's not in getting wealthier. It's not in getting more people to like you. But what transcends this world is the presence of God in you. The coming of God into your heart and into your lives. The comfort of the advent of the Messiah is the glory of God alive in us. 
A glory that fills every depression in our lives, that overcomes every mountain that we cannot overcome. Jesus Christ came and brought with Him the abiding presence of the glory of God. And there is nothing in this world that heals like the healing touch of God's Spirit. And there is nothing in this world that satisfies like the provision of God's Spirit. This is what Jesus brings. This is what the Advent has all been about. That the glory of God is brought to His people. I'm telling you right now, man, if you've ever experienced the presence of God in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in that place, and you've you've been in fear, and and you've been in hurt, and you've been in pain, but when Jesus Christ walks in and His Spirit wraps Himself around you and and fills you, it all goes away and you know that there is something greater, there is something more glorious, there is something that has greater value than it all. It is doesn't matter. Nothing matters but the glory of God revealed in your heart and your life. That as you step out of this place, as you walk in this world, you know that God is going with you and you're bringing Him into every moment and every situation. That His love, that His grace, that His mercy, that, that, his, that his peace, that His holiness is walking with you everywhere and at every time. And it makes no, different what's ha- no, it makes no difference what's happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future because in it all, I know the glory of God. My hope is not in this place. My hope is in the glory of God. My hope is not in the wealth of this place. My hope is in the wealth of God. This is what transcends it all. And if you don't let go of the things of this world, you're never going to experience that glory. This is the coming of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is the hope. This is the hope of the Advent. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. This is the hope of the advent of Christ. This Christmas season, you are in the midst of your warfare, of your turmoil. If you are deeply aware of the price and the penalty of your sin, and continue to live in it and walk in it, You can be comforted that your warfare has ended. Your sin is pardoned. The price has been paid double by the cross of Jesus Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent and receive from Him. Make straight His path in the midst of the desert to receive from Him the evening of your uneven ground, the smoothing of your rough rough path. Receive in Him the glory of God. Humble yourself even now and receive the glory of His presence in your life. What do you want? What do you want more than anything else?
the answer to that is anything but the presence of God. Anything but the glory of God. The Advent holds no hope for you. But if you desire Him more, if you want His glory in your life more, be glad today. For the King has come.